The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Created from an atomic fireball hurled from outer space. The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Threatens man's very existence on Earth. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Battles Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan for mastery of the world. Men quake before the terror of their unleashed fury. All new, all never to be forgotten. A new high in visions from Monsterland. Hello everyone, welcome to Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. My name is Jerry, and joining me is Mr. Venom. Hello gentlemen, how's everyone doing? I'm looking forward to this one. I had a ball. Let's go. Yeah, and of course, we've got 10 out of 10 Derek. Hello there guys, it's been a while, but we're here. Yeah, and the professional... Name pronouncer for everything Japanese on this podcast, Don. Screamonk, everyone. Yeah, all right. Uh, so before we get into it, I got to talk about meeting the man who was in the Godzilla 2000 suit. It was fucking awesome. Uh, he is short as hell. <laughs> wow. Like, really fucking short. Uh, and I got to meet the the man who was inside the Ultraman suit, and he is not short. He he's about the same height as me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of them were super fucking awesome, super nice. Uh, I could not get them to, to speak any English. They had these ladies there that were translating everything for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while I did get a clip of the suit actor for Godzilla 2000 uh, saying something, it's all in Japanese and I have no idea what the fuck he said. So I will put that at the end of this episode so everyone can hear it. Um but they were both fucking awesome. Uh, they signed my VHS tapes. They took pictures with me. Um, and uh, Ben even signed a extra, like, uh, car. He had these Ultraman, like, not car, kind of like a small, like, kind of like a postcard looking size thing of, of him. And he signed that and gave that to me also. So that was fucking dope. But um, they were super cool. I spent way too much money at that horror convention. I mean, to be fair, I sold a shitload of stuff to raise money for it, but meeting those two was fucking awesome, and uh, the reason it was so important is because Godzilla 2000, which is a movie we're doing tonight, I actually saw in theaters multiple times. Um, before that, of course, I had only seen uh, 1998, because the only other Godzilla movie released even close to me being bored was 19. 19- uh 85 and i was not born yet so i've only i but i did get to see godzilla 2000 and i went and saw it multiple times and there was barely anyone ever in the theater which was great uh and i fucking loved it and so it was great reliving this movie yeah it's (laughs) yeah it's been a while since i've seen this one too uh 
I actually did see this in theaters also. I remember it was a blast when I remember seeing it in theaters. And it was good revisiting it, and I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited. So I guess we will get into it. So Godzilla 2000 obviously came out because... The 1998 movie came out, and, uh, well... You saw that thing. You saw that thing. You had to do something to fix it. Yeah, because originally, uh, from what I read, Godzilla 2000... The, Toho was not going to make another Godzilla movie until, like, 2006, 2008. They were supposed to give enough time for TriStar to do a, a trilogy of movies. Uh, but with the first one being so bad and no one wanting to go forward with it, they decided to say, fuck it, let's put out Godzilla 2000, and let's show them how we do it. Um, the, the only weird thing about that is, is th- uh, there's some special effects in Godzilla 2000 that do not hold up and do not look good, and I'm not just mm. talking about the awful CGI. But some <laughs> of the, the like, I get, we'll get into it later, I guess. I shouldn't go into that. But Godzilla 2000 came out in 1999, also called Godzilla Millennium, uh, and it's about Godzilla who saves Tokyo from a flying saucer that transforms into the Beast Orga with a 6.1 out of 10 IMDb rating. Not bad. Director is okay. I'm gonna say it, and then I'm sure Don's gonna correct me. Takao Okawara. Okawara. Takeo. Takeo Okawara. Thank you. Uh, Funny enough, I, th- I think it was this movie where I was reading the director of uh, Tokyo SOS and another one actually talked a lot of shit about this movie and said it didn't have the spirit of Godzilla in it and that it, was, it wasn't it was that good. And I was like, bitch, what are you talking? Like, he basically said they didn't know what they were doing with Godzilla. And I'm like, dude, this director has worked on more Godzilla movies than you have. <laughs> like, he didn't direct all of them, but, like, he was like, he worked... Fucking like as assistant director on Godzilla versus Destroyer, I'm pretty sure he knows how to make a Godzilla movie. So I thought that was interesting, a tidbit I would bring up. But uh, I guess let's go around and talk about you know what for this one because I brought up my story of seeing it in theaters. I actually want to talk about everyone's first experience with it. Obviously, me and Derek saw it in theaters, which was great for us. But uh, Venom, what was your first experience with this movie? Also saw it in theaters. I actually also saw Godzilla 85 in theaters. I'm that you old. Lucky bastard. <laughs> I have no memories of 85 at all, but I definitely remember walking out of the theater after seeing 2000 with a big smile on my face. Absolutely loved it. Um, really loved the uh, the main, you know, villain kaiju uh, that, we'll, you know, we'll get into. But yeah, um, absolutely love the finale. You know, left me wanting more, you know, blah, blah, blah. Every cliche you could think of. I loved it. All right, Derek. Not Derek. We already talked about us. Shut up, yeah. Derek. Don? <laughs> well, it's a quadruple because I as well saw this in theaters. And just like you guys, I saw 98 in theaters. So this was a fine makeup session. Mm. And I've seen this multiple times because I always catch it on El Rey when they do their Godzilla marathons. And it holds up in most regards. There's still some areas I have issues with not just the special effects, but yeah, I think it's a fun film. I kind of see where he's going with in regards to the spirit of Godzilla comment, but I have a feeling that can be an issue we can talk about later because there is some validity and there is some 
falseness to his statements. So we can talk about that later. All right. Well, then we will get into it. First thing we're going to get into is what we love about this movie. Derek, what did you love about this movie? I actually like the the blend of characters in this one. Uh, it's very odd. Like we have like these Godzilla network group that goes around and follows Godzilla. Very Twister-like, which is kind of fucking funny. They have like these weird like radars and shit like in Twister. Like, we're going to find out where Godzilla is. We're going to communicate where he is. And they have, like, this reporter that's following him. And I, I like the bad guy in this one, too. And it's kind of weird. The chemistry between the main, like, uh, hero character and the bad guy. Because uh, they have, like, this past that they never really get into. And uh, the main bad guy's hairdo is fucking amazing. Yo, the main bad guy, the main military bad guy... He looks like uh, Jeffrey Combs as Milton Dammers in The Frighters. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, I like the chemistry between the characters. Which you don't really get a lot of chemistry in some of these movies with characters. So i kind of happy that they did have some kind of mixture of characters in this one that blended it together. Yeah, I so. agree with you. Great human story in this one. Uh, Don, what did you love about this movie? Uh, right off the bat we get godzilla in one of his top five greatest entrances um <laughs> you, that uh you know the side of the ship appearing in the fog at a lighthouse only all of a sudden everybody realizes hey wait a second why is that thing 100 feet in, in the air and you pan by and you realize it's actually in godzilla's jaws as he's wading ashore, and then, you know, you have all the attacks on the lighthouse, and then, you know, the multiple near-death instances with the one guy trying to escape, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, and the chick's like, uh, she calls him an imbecile, but I'm like, bitch, you didn't follow directions. That's why you almost died and they have no windshield. That is your fault. <laughs> oh, speaking of, did you catch the little joke where, you know, after Godzilla's blown the windshield out... He, they he turns the he turns the wipers on yes and he says he says does that calm you down <laughs> that was fucking funny uh yeah. but i agree that boat crush oh my god perfection so good uh venom what did you love about this movie i like that godzilla shows a very high regard for japanese cuisine because when he realizes that that restaurant is serving cold teriyaki he just smashes the shit out of it and i (laughs) i I can appreciate that because i'm a foodie as well so it's nice to see godzilla you know support the culinary arts okay most surprising answer on this podcast ever I did not see that coming. Holy I like, shit. I like my teriyaki spicy. Wow. Uh, so for me, uh, and we'll kind of get into more of this later, but Godzilla's design in this movie, I absolutely love. I, I love his purple dorsal fins. I'm a huge purple fan. I'm wearing a purple flannel right now. Uh, I love that the mouth design is 100% Godzilla 1962. That is the Godzilla versus King Kong mouth. Uh, and some yeah. shots, it looks a little goofy when you're looking at him straight on. But whenever you see him from the side, it's so fucking good. Yeah, that's sort of where the inspiration came from. Because that's one of the designs that they modded the suit after was 62. Yeah, and 62 is my favorite suit. Uh, not only that, Godzilla vs. King Kong is my favorite movie to watch. I'm not saying it's the greatest movie in the series. But if you're asking me what movie in the series have I watched the most, what's my rainy day Godzilla movie... It's always 
Godzilla vs. King Kong. Mm. Um, that's It's just, I fucking love that movie. Um, so now we're going to go into what we didn't like. And uh, I think I'm most interested in Don's opinion on this one. Okay, for me, I have big issues with the story of this one. And it's kind of complex. It's kind of convoluted. We can discuss this more, but... For now, I'll just keep this simple. I have major issues with the story. All right, story. The, the human, the the human interest story, I should say. Okay, well, we'll definitely do. I guess we'll go around and say all our dislikes, and then we'll kind of dig into the dislikes so everyone can have a say. Right. Uh, Venom, what was your big dislike? Um, it better honestly, not be teriyaki related. No, no, sir. This one's actually movie related. Um, I actually was really, really unimpressed with most of the green screen usage in this movie. Um, I know a lot of the effects, you know, I'm sure we'll get into some of the CG effects not holding up. But for 1999, they should have been able to put together some more convincing green screen. It seems like every time they used it, it just looked awful. You could see the outlines on the foreground characters. I don't know. It took me out of it at times, which is unfortunate because for the most part, I love this movie. Preach it. Oh, my God. Yes. I just every time I saw it, I'm like, this just does not fucking look right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the size looks off, uh, like whatever, like Godzilla in the background, it always looks super faded. Yep. It didn't look right. Uh, Derek, what about you? Uh, I know we're going to be talking about the effects more when we get to that. So I'll do something more on like the human story that I didn't like was, uh, there's this weird comedic scene that happens between, uh, this guy that works in like near the same building as the Godzilla center where he keeps banging this dude in the head, where, you know, it had, like, this unintentional comedy, and it had, like, this fucking goofy music playing, like, Halloween 5 slash Last House on the Left style, like, goofy, shitty comedy, and it kind of took me out of it, you know what I mean? Like, like, there are some awkward moments that come within the movie where it has, like, this awkward comedy that the movie didn't need. That kind of took me out of it. They like their slapstick in Japan, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't have any really huge complaints besides like the special effects CGI uh stuff. So this isn't necessarily a complaint, but okay, I like Orga's design, but let's be honest. That is the most unique bland design ever. Like <laughs> it's very clunky for a costume. Yes, like it looks good, it's very unique, but at the same time it's so fucking bland. Yeah. So, like like, Gigan is a design that just fucking pops. Gigan is the jazz hands of Kaiju. <laughs> and Orga, Orga is like a Derek after he eats at a buffet. I can't even jerk <laughs> off with that hand. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you thinking about Kaiju jerking off? <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, he has like three fingers and like, it's all bulky and like it only. Yeah, the fingers are too long. You can't get a good wraparound. Exactly, you know. Like, I don't I'm know that. why I thought about that. I'm like, because I usually try to think of weird shit like that when I'm trying to figure out how this, you know, the suit works and shit like that, and how these kaiju work. You know. I don't, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I'm a weirdo like that sometimes. But. Well. Speaking of uh, masturbating, what did you guys think of the size of Godzilla? He's smaller here, isn't he, than usual? Yeah, uh, he's back. 
Yeah, he's back to the um, traditional 50 meters. Okay, that, I knew something was off, especially in the shot when he's coming out of the water and walking towards the tanks. I'm like, that's a 100-meter Godzilla? It, it didn't seem no, right. they No, they scaled it back to 50 to make it more traditional with the original. That makes more sense. Okay, yeah. I, at least I'm not going crazy. All right, so Don, I want to get into to you talking about the story you didn't like. Explain this. Okay, so... For me, I like the general premise of the. I like the general idea of where the story's going. It, you know, you have the scientists discovering, you know, this special ingredient involved in human DNA that allows cellular that allows the cellular structure to form, basically. But it's done in one of the most blandest, dull manner possible of. Essentially having, you know, the two just stare at the uh, microscopes the entire time discussing this bland technical jargon. And, you know, for me, it just drags the film down because at the end of the day, all it is is it's a revelation that Godzilla is invulnerable to everything. We already know that. And then the thing is, is that this treats it like this is a reboot of the series to where, you know, we're meeting Godzilla for the first time. Yet all of a sudden, this prediction network is around, and it's indicated that Godzilla's done this before. Yet there's never been any mention of him. Oh well, so I, I, like... I disagree with you there, because I do think they fully have the intention that Godzilla. That this is not the first time we met Godzilla, and I think the prediction network is the whole reason for saying that. But I do agree with you that they do not back that up enough, talking about past Godzilla uh, mm, sightings. Yeah. Right. Except for they do have one throwaway comment about Godzilla attacking power sources, uh, but at the same they do mention that it's happened before he first appears in this movie. But it's, it's such a small line and such a throwaway line, and the fact that they have him do it twice in this movie makes it to where it's so easy to not notice that one or think it was just him confirming it with the second attack. When truthfully, this could be the third or fourth um, yeah. attack. But so. You are right. They did not do a good job of establishing how long Godzilla's been around. They could have easily fixed that by talking about the event in 1954 or 1984 or something like that. Right. Because you know this guy's been doing this for a while because the aspect of him knowing, like, this bad guy and shit. And uh, they have, like, a dark past because they wanted to study Godzilla, him and the other dude. But then this other guy wants to destroy Godzilla. He was, like, he's kind of like a Captain Ahab style You know, You know character. how you fix this, the story in this? Actually have the first part in the movie be about when they work together, showing mm-hmm. an earlier Godzilla event, have them splitting up, doing a, like, you know, two to three, least, four year jump cut, and then getting into even... this. Or maybe even have that as a flashback when they first, when they, when he first arrives at the center to check on their work, and they realize, oh shit, you again. Then you go into a flashback yeah. detailing their history together. That yeah. would have been an even better time to do it. Yeah, get into you know them breaking up because one of them wants to kill Godzilla and the other one wants to study him and and all that. Like get into fucking right. that. Don't because because when you get into the third act, all of a sudden you know. You, you see, you know, the military guy turn into this, you know, jerk ass for no reason. And he, you know, the, the scientist guy keeps bringing up their past history about, oh, you're doing it all over again. We wanted to study the thing. Why are you going on and killing it? One, you know, like you did before. And there's like no context behind it because you're inferring that there's this relationship that there really wasn't there. 
Yeah, you're trying to make this movie feel like it has a past and that it's lived in, and you're backing it up with the bare minimum possible. Um, and yeah. I will, and I will also say the movie has some really low slow points throughout. It kind of goes up and down throughout this entire right. fucking movie. Yeah. I, I right. notice. I notice in like the Japanese version of this, it's even more noticeable. So I, I kind of see. I actually kind of prefer this American recut. <laughs> oh, the American dub is miles better. There's only one major difference, and I don't know if we want to get into it now. With the, I know the score you know, is completely different. Yeah, but the the one difference is that in the Japanese version. They keep the cellular structure is named Organizer G1. Mm. And that is the impetus for naming the creature Orga. Oh, because that's, okay. that's that's where the name Orga comes from. It's Organizer G1. Oh, I always thought it was Organism. Sudden, mm. No, they, they in the Japanese version, that cellular the cellular system that's involved in Godzilla cells is called Organizer G1. It's the component that unites human uh, unites cellular functions into a, a living organism that's okay. the purpose that's the purpose behind it and in the american version they re they rechange it to regenerator g1 because it's implied that that's what gives godzilla his regenerative powers mm -hmm. well so yeah that's that's one of the major differences between the japanese version is that that's you know Keeping it as organizer is where Orga gets his name. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and it it makes more sense because it's the function of cellular structure to form life together. That's what the aliens are after. The aliens are after it because it can organize the cells into a functional form. That's what they're after. Oh, to help them adapt to our atmosphere and shit. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. they're essentially formless beings using an organizing structure that Godzilla's cells possess gives them a suitable form to take over the planet because they can't do it as, you know, blobs, essentially. Yeah, that's another thing I didn't like about this movie. It does not go into much on the alien. Uh, yeah. In Godzilla movies, they love to go on and on about the aliens, giving us all kind of fucking background information and looks. And in this one, they barely gave us fucking nothing. And point evident... I missed this entire fucking... Like, I got that they were trying to redo the atmosphere and all that, but because of them not naming the Organizer G1 properly in the American dub, that made me miss a huge part of this movie. So thank you, Don, because I didn't even fucking uh, realize that. Yeah. No yeah, the interesting thing about when you look at, like, what Orger is and stuff, it, it, it is a fucking resemblance, it, you know, in the back of your mind of the thing. Like, it's an organism that takes form and tries to adapt to any environment that he is in. And he decides that he wants to become Godzilla. That's a very interesting aspect of this. And, you know, some of the effects on what's going to happen when it does happen is doesn't hold up. I'll admit that. It's kind of odd looking when it does happen. <laughs> but yeah. it's kind of cool at the same time. <laughs> right. And, you know, to backtrack on what Jerry said earlier about not knowing the aliens what do we get instead of you know contact with the aliens we get scenes of the reporter in the rooms looking over the computers and realizing the data has been missing like that's all of the human contact with the aliens that we get in here so everything that we 
learn about them is just everybody standing around gaping at gawking at everything and then just inferring what's going on mm. so there's you know i mean i this is one of those areas where i get where the comment is about they're not having that show of feel because it's just you know everything is happening but nobody knows why and then all of a sudden somebody just makes a bold proclamation and they take it as truth yeah and, like and that's I... yeah that's not a show a tactic you know the show a tactic was get them out get them shown make the case and then fight to stop them yeah i feel like they kind of tried to go with ooh it's a mystery and they try to like subvert our interest by do like having this fucking nerdy ass father Somehow, fucking John McClane and survive a diehard building explosion, yeah. <laughs> which is total bullshit. And I then love like, how he had no cuts on his hands. Yeah, no, he, he just got a little bit of suit. No, you he know. did. You, you look at his hands. Yeah, they're kind of cut up at the end when he emerges at the at the command center. There's like a bunch of blood dripping from them. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I saw a little bit of blood on his head, but it was mostly him just covered in like ash. And mm-hmm. I also, well, yeah, like, but I'm saying. Yeah, he gets he he's really covered in like dirt and ash when he emerges from the building, but when he arrives at the center and he pulls the machine out that he stole, and he, you can actually see that his hands are genuinely cut up. Yeah, and I like how we did get our standard military can't hurt the monster thing because they you they thought that weak ass blast was gonna destroy that ship, and I was like, get the fuck out of here! No way, that ship is has been fucking chilling in the ocean. For a long fucking time. You ain't winning that. Yeah, you know, it's like, that. Like this is the whole, like, scene where it's like, fuck you, America, because it's on top of this building, and then yeah. it fucking shoots, like, this counter blast down into the building, and it has, like, this Independence Day fucking explosion, <laughs> and like, holy shit, they're like, fuck you, you fucking motherfucker in this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's move out from the negative, and let's talk about our monsters. Let's let's start with uh, the return of the big G Godzilla Venom, what did you think of this suit design? I loved it. I really, I, I really, really got into the color changing dorsal plates. Um, and especially even in the scenes that didn't involve the atomic breath, it just seemed like based on the lighting, in some scenes they were red and some they were violet. Um, even underwater at times, they were like a shade of pink. Um, and I just, I really thought that was cool to make this, the suit seem more like a living thing as opposed to just a covering for an actor. So yeah, I genuinely enjoyed this design. All right, Derek, what'd you think? Yeah, I, I always liked the design. Like this is the same, uh, design that they was using Mega Garris, the, the one film after this one. And I always liked the sleek look of Godzilla in this. And you could see like him, like the way he runs fast in some of these movies, uh, it, it works with the style of the suit. He's a, it's a sleeker look, and I like the snarl that he looks like, like the facial snarl. It's a very interesting look for him with like his teeth and stuff. You know, I always enjoyed this look of him, and he, like Venom said, the fins are fucking awesome. <laughs> All right, Derek, Don, Don, God damn it! This is why I don't <laughs> record two podcasts in a row. Yeah, um, I think the spines are just a tad too big, but other than that, I have no issues with the suit. It, it looks good. You know, it's undoubtedly Godzilla compared to what came in from the 98 film. <laughs> so, yeah, the the orange blast, it's not like it's not like we haven't seen it before. He did that in the last few films in the Heisei series, so it's not like a radical departure. 
but I mean, I love the fact that it looks like he's having to charge up his ray. Mm-hmm. Where he's got is, you know, I mean, he did it in Megaguras, but it, it, the place light up, and then you get that distortion around the mouth, and then just all hell breaks loose after. So, <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. And then you know, you get that awesome charge through the, you know, the charge through the city. Like I'm gonna get you, you know, like you got me one time. You're not gonna get me again. That just I don't give a shit charge. <laughs> I mean, the special effects look crap, but it's not Godzilla's fault. Yeah. So I've kind of said my piece on the design uh, as my like. Uh, the only thing I want to hit is I love the uh, I love how Godzilla gets more cat like in the face mm-hmm. as the series pro- has progressed through the years. Um, you know, in, in the Heisei series, they really started giving him more cat like features, and in this one they've continued that, slimming him down more and more and more. Uh, and I've always really enjoyed that. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Don's comment about the spines, and I in Godzilla always has that one spine on his back that's way bigger than every other fucking spine, <laughs> and it made me go. The difference with this one is, is this one seems is is like if you go back and look at like the Godzilla vs King Kong suit, that spine's like really fucking wide, uh, but with this one, it juts out so fucking far that it kind of makes all his other spines look a little weird. So I and I did, I've never really thought about it until he said that. But I looked up and I looked at my Godzilla Millennium uh, X Plus figure, and I was just like, you know what? He's fucking right. That spine juts out really fucking far. Like it's double the length of the two spines above it and below it. Yeah, and you know, speaking of which, isn't the traditional feature to go small, medium, large, medium, small? This one looks more. Like small, extra large, medium, 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 and then triple X <laughs> and the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and it looks like it's placed like almost on the shoulder rather than in the middle of the back. So it, I don't know. I mean, the spines just look weird overall, and I mean, I believe we discussed that in Mega Gurus as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, yeah, that's like the only real issue I have with it because yeah, uh, the rest we... of the suit, oh, yeah, yeah, the rest of the suit looks great. I mean, you know, we're picking spines as the least likable feature on the suit. There's a lot to like with the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I'll I'll give Mega Gear something. It does explain something that what that spine does. <laughs> you know, yeah, as a battle tactic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I like the purple spines, even if they are a little, little big. Uh, yeah, big sp- big spines. Yeah. Do you love too, Craig? Uh, so Don, what do you think about Orga? Uh, this would probably be one of my least favorite monsters. I mean, it kind of looks like a cross between Gino and the Godzilla costume from this film, crossed with a Rancor. Wow! So, I've never thought about that. Holy shit! It does. Yeah, I, I was thinking Rancor mixed with Cloverfield monster. Well, Cloverfield yeah. wasn't around yet, though, so... Oh, very true. Yeah, I mean, I can see Clover somewhat, but, I mean, we don't ever get a true... I've never really get a full-on view of what the thing looks like, so... But, yeah, I mean, it looks like Gino in the costume mixed with the Rancor, so... Hmm, interesting. All right, uh, Derek... Yeah, like I said, he can't jerk off, you know, so. <laughs> but, you know, I, 
it, it's a bulky suit, and you can tell like the actor is not having the funnest time in the suit either. Mm-hmm. Like especially when he's moving his arms and shit and trying to battle, and Godzilla's getting the upper hand. You know, it's kind of like. Okay, you know, he's just grabbing them because he's trying to make the suit look better than it actually is. But, you know, I do like some of the design features. Like, you know, like, it got mixtures with, like, his battle rocket in the shoulder. It goes with, like, the way that the UFO was in that aspect. So I did kind of like that aspect that he bought. He took that from the feature of the UFO. But uh, overall, you know, it's a bulky lanky suit i wouldn't want to fucking drive around in it you know <laughs> okay fair uh, enough i'll say i'll say this it looks more like an ultraman costume than it does a feature film costume yeah okay yeah. uh venom what'd you think um for the most part i actually liked most of its head and body i i did not like its arms i think that that bottom heavy arms style just doesn't seem I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would be conducive to fighting. You know, it, it would be like swinging a big mace. If you if you hit him, cool. If you miss, you're fucked. Yeah, I mean, you're basically turned around. So it just doesn't seem real practical in an actual kaiju battle. But for the most part, I like I said, I like the face. And there's one shot in particular that I want to highlight here. And it's right after Godzilla gives him his first full atomic breath. And there's... And there's the scene where um, Orga kind of slowly walks from behind the fire and and the music starts, the, the orchestral music starts to swell up. That particular shot looked fucking great. I, I just, I rewound it multiple times to watch it. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that's how you do a suit. Because yeah. obviously, you know, the, the, this movie is obviously like an apology for the Sony 98 Godzilla. And... And, and I always said it, it's unfortunate that they weren't, weren't able to do more with the suits, like suit technology, you know, giving it more animatronics or whatever the case may be. But when they showed that shot of Orga coming out from behind the fire, I, I thought it was just absolutely epic. It looked realistic. It, 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 you know, it made more sense that they were slow moving, that he was just kind of trudging along because he just took an atomic breath to the face. So I just want to say that shot was awesome. All right, funny enough, I actually have a thing for the Bahamut design. I like the big fucking uh, knuckle dragon arms because uh, it just makes me think giant monster. The problem with that is it only works when it's bigger than what it's fighting. If yeah. it's the same size as what it's fighting, doesn't really work. Uh, he's right. You're basically swinging around maces hoping that uh, they're not quick enough, but most likely they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like when Orga opens his mouth. And gives him a uh, French kiss. Yeah, w- which leads us right into uh, the battle. Uh, the, the fucking battle where Orga tries to eat him, and Godzilla's like, eat me? Eat me, <laughs> motherfucker? Oh, come on, I'm going to give you the secret sauce. Oh my god, that is great! And obviously, there there's a great kind of, it, in Godzilla 2014. They kind of do a homage to it with, where when Godzilla kills one of the Mutos. Um, but uh, as for the fight, I thought it was okay. I think the two biggest, the two coolest things when Godzilla fires the beam at Orga, it hits him, and then Orga kind of grows back. And like uh, mm-hmm. Venom was saying, with the music, worked really good. And the mm-hmm. way Godzilla actually defeats Orga is really good. Um, I thought that it just took us a little too long to get to the battle. And then when we got to the battle, 
it wasn't like super exciting. It looked really good. I liked the darkness. I liked the look of it, but it wasn't a very exciting battle. Uh, Derek, how did you feel about it? You know, I, I actually, with the aspect of like the music and stuff, it did work with that aspect of it because the music was really good in that scenes. You know, uh, you know, it was because like, pretty much it's a battle between like the saucer to the majority of the battle. And then it turns into like him becoming Orga and shit. And then it becomes because it feels like another battle inside of another battle, if that makes sense. Yeah. So with that aspect of it, it it's okay. I, I I dig it for what it is, you know, with the idea of what Orga is. Like like I said my complaints about the Orga uh suit and shit. Yeah. I actually like the idea of Orga as a character. Mm-hmm. So it kind of works with that aspect with like the whole consuming. I really love that scene where he just fucking blows up and shit, and you just see like the remains and Godzilla just staring at him, like mm, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So you said you had negative comments about the suit. Well, you know, like the suit in general, and I said I was complaining about how bulky his suit was, but I like the idea of him as a monster. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venom, what did you think of the battle? I mean, if, for whatever it's worth, it was a little bit too short, but I got to say that was probably one of the most epic final attacks I've ever seen in a Godzilla fight. I mean, that that's one of the most convincing fuck yous I've ever seen in my life thus far in watching all these movies with you guys. But I also wanted to highlight the beginning of this fight. Um, when Orga is still in spaceship mode and he's just sitting on that second building and has all the wires come out from under the ground and grab Godzilla and kind of tie him up. And at that point, I verbally yelled out, who's attacking Godzilla? Is it Venom or Pinhead? And then I and then I realized uh, just a little bit after that that it was fucking Pinhead because once Godzilla is all tied up and there's that one shot right before he gets out of the wires where he's all sprawled out, just like fucking Uncle Frank in Hellraiser 1987, right about to say Jesus wept. But in this version, Godzilla does not say Jesus whipped. He decides to say, no, fuck you, underwater spaceship, and gives him a full atomic blast to the face, which basically destroys half of them before he finally uh, gets his hands on some uh, Regenerator G1. But I love that first, that opening attack. I thought that was great. Yeah, that that's a valid point. Uh, Don, what did you think? I like the general premise of the idea, uh, the, the fight between them. The one thing that gets me when I first watch this is when you look at it and Orga, the full Orga is standing there before you and you look around, you notice the creature looks very hesitant to enter into a fight with Godzilla as if it's more like, wait, what are you doing? Why are you attacking me? I don't want to fight you. (laughs) It's like Godzilla's forcing him into a fight and he looks, Orga looks very reluctant to actually battle Godzilla but then finally does just because, you know, Godzilla's beating beating the shit out of them. But the actual battle between them is undone by exactly what Venom said. Godzilla's confrontation with the saucer just minutes before is miles better. It's far more exciting and it's a lot more inventive. You know, you see the ropes that break f- through from the street and they ensnare his snout and they drag him through all these you know, apartment complexes and he takes out all entire city blocks and you, you see them, you know, Godzilla being, you know, dumped into a, a what are they called? Those 
giant towers and you know the scrapers are collapsed on top of them yeah like that entire sequence is far better than the actual fight between Godzilla and Orga because Orga is such an uninspired lump of clay that he can't really do much <laughs> so you really can't so there's like no real like grappling that they can do I mean you know the ending is you know one of the best parts about it and it's rightfully so because like Venom's you know like they said it's the biggest you know like fuck off that's <laughs> ever been done in the series but the actual on-screen grappling is a little weak I, I like the actual fight with the saucer before. And, and I mean, you know, the idea of Godzilla goading a guy into fighting just seems like a total Godz- bitch Godzilla move. Like, like <laughs> you know, hey, you, I want to fight. Get over here. And, you know, the other guy, like, what, me? No, I don't want to do anything, you know. And then Godzilla whacks him with his tail and was like, fight me, bitch. <laughs> you know, you got me thinking that uh, with your comment about be- him uh, being Orga being a lump of clay and saying he has like some resemblance to uh, Godzilla '98 um, and how Orga really is truly kind of a, a a trying to turn itself into Godzilla, and with the way as soon as he turns into Orga and has those resemblances, how quickly Godzilla fucking puts him down and puts him down hard. Maybe right. that was a message to uh, Godzilla '1998. <laughs> oh totally yeah, yeah i can see yeah. that um in the, the aspect of like why orga doesn't want to fight at the beginning like i do get that also because he's still getting used to like being like in this new organism body you know what i mean he's still trying to adapt in that point right. true and that he, is backed up by how much research he was doing on godzilla yeah and, and you look at it i mean you know the first thing he does is he looks at his claws with those big huge hands is like what the hell are these things <laughs> and you know he's like you know huh wait what and then Godzilla roars in his direction and he's like wait no I don't want to fight and then you know you get that first blast and then it's like fight me so yeah I mean you can clearly see that Godzilla's goading him into a fight and then you realize as soon as he starts turning into Godzilla you know and the combination turns into like a mixture between Orga and Gino. You start as soon as he does that, Godzilla just fires the blast right down his throat and just like fucks him up. That's like, as soon as he turns into you know the '98 Godzilla, he blows his head off. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, you, you hey Derek, get... I have a question for you. Yes. Have you just gotten so comfortable on this show? Because when we talked about Gaigan, you didn't talk about how Gaigan jacks off. <laughs> I didn't think okay. about it because I very carefully. Gigan's yeah, like, a that, cyborg. He doesn't need Gigan's a cyborg. He doesn't have those parts. Well, that's why he's always like always beating the shit out of the guys the way he does because he's like fuck you, you could jerk off and I can't. You know? <laughs> okay, valid point. Uh... But you know, like the aspect also, like we mentioned, we forgot to mention this, but what does Orga look like when he first gets out of the ship? Oh Giant yeah, squid. Oh, the happy squid. <laughs> <laughs> you, Fucking. Independence Day alien. He does, right? (laughs) That's the part that's got to be the middle finger to, you know, Sony's Godzilla. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just, ugh. That seemed like it was purposely awful. It does, exactly. Because, you know, it's like another fuck you down. Oh, I just realized that the whole thing's CGI. So because you did a CGI Godzilla, we're going to do shitty CGI in our film to fuck you guys over. No, I think they truly did. CGI Godzilla because they were trying to see if 
that's something they can move into, and they quickly realize that they can't. No, I'm talking about the CGI squid. Like, you guys are going to CGI our Godzilla, we're going to CGI our monster, and it look even shittier than yours. I, I don't <laughs> think that was what they were going for, but oh, we'll, let it, we'll let it happen. Uh, I do want to say, before we end, the end of this movie where Godzilla levels the city with his music playing is so good. It is, like... Everything about that scene is just good. Cinematically, it's pleasing. Thematically, it's pleasing. Uh, the mute, the score kicking in is fucking great. It has Godzilla kind of being a balance between a good guy and a bad guy because they're like, Godzilla's in all of us. That's why he didn't kill us right now, even though he clearly gave a warning sign to one dude to back the fuck up and dude didn't back the fuck up, so that's on him. But instead of killing everyone there, he turns around and they're like, he's our hero. And then Godzilla's like, uh, yeah, fuck your city. And destroys the city. Why does, why does he protect us? Because he needs cities to destroy. If you're gone, he can't have cities to destroy. Yeah. All right. All right. Godzilla so- is basically the neighborhood bully. And, you know, he has like a little three, four block little hood that's his little area. And as soon as this bigger kid than him moves into the neighborhood, he goes after that kid. And then all the neighborhood kids accept him because he's the bully that they've always known. So Godzilla is basically Tokyo's bully that they accept. I I like that analogy. (laughs) All right. Does anyone have any last things they need to say about Godzilla 2000? I know we ragged on the CGI a lot, but I do want to give credit for one thing. The military attack when Godzilla arrives on the beach, because those are CGI rockets, and that's an actually damn good sequence. I mean, we get the, you know, the the camera tracking the rockets as they fly along the gully over the, the bridge, mm-hmm. and you see them, like, they actually score direct hits against them. Like, I think that's actually an impressive sequence. And mostly being done with CGI instead of, you know, the usual Toho miniatures of just throwing, like, Roman candle sparks at Godzilla. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, 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 I want to give that scene credit where I, I think there's some good CGI in the film. I mean, the rockets still look like crap, but it's a lot better than anything else in the film. And it's an, incredible, it's an impressive sequence. And mm-hmm. one of the few instances where I think the CGI is useful to some degree. So, I, I mean, I know we ragged on it, and rightfully so. It does look like shit the rest of the movie, but I think that's the best use of it throughout the film, and it's in the best one of the best sequences in the movie as well. So I want to give that a little special shout-out. All right, and shout-out to the child actress in this movie because she was not that annoying. Yep. She, yeah, she I, was absolutely. Fine. All right, yeah. Any, anybody else, Derek? You know, like I said, we had the problem with the CGI. Like, Watching, especially on Blu-ray, it's even more noticeable, especially that underwater scene. This thing has a Blu-ray? Yeah. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah, it comes (laughs) with both the Japanese and English version on. Yes, I knew there was a a DVD version, but I didn't know it made the trick to Blu-ray. I thought this was the only one one of the last ones that didn't get a Blu-ray. No, no. All all of the Heisei and all of the Showa series have Mm Blu-rays. Heisei and Millennium. I think it's yeah, Showa Heisei that... and Millennium. Showa is the one that still has tons of yeah. movies not on Blu-ray. Oh, because I thought this was the one that didn't make the jump to Blu-ray. Okay. Nope. Yeah. Uh, it, it's actually the only one in the hey, uh, in the Millennium series that didn't come on a two-pack. Yeah, yeah. that's it the got one a... thing I was referring to because I yep. knew that most, got of the other ones were, most of them were on like mm-hmm. Sony two-packs and stuff. Nope, it got a standalone. 
Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, but you know, it's a little bit more noticeable, especially on Blu-ray, that underwater scene. But you know, I don't hold like CGI is a, as long as it has like an okay story and okay characters in these movies, it's all good for my part. And uh, it does, and you know, it's still fun, especially revisiting it today. And I think a lot of like Godzilla fans will, especially if they saw '98 and like fuck you, you know, like we were. They're, they'll enjoy this one. It's a fun little ride, you know? Yeah. All right. Venom? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, we've we've talked all about the effects. I, I mentioned the green screen. Um, you know, for the most part, though, I do I do really, really like this movie. One question I do have, though, and I'm, I'm kind of noticing it in a trend with uh, stuff like Godzilla, uh, SOS, and Final Wars is why do the main human villains in these movies always sound like John Wayne, but from New York city? Like they have that kind of John Wayne has that distinct Iowa accent. That's, you know, not quite Southern cowboy, but still very distinctly cowboy. And I I don't know if you guys notice it with our villain here and with uh, multiple other movies um, where the voice is always really, really deep. And it sounds like a less Southern John Wayne. Hmm. I've mm. never noticed, but I'll pay attention next time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, all right, then. With that being said, it is time to get into the Ultraman report. So I'm going to pass it over to Derek and let him take over this time so that I can take a break. I'm not going to take a nap. I promise. <laughs> all right. So, Derek, take it away. Okay. Let me get my notes ready right here. And let's get this away. Ultraman, episode 10. The Mysterious Dinosaur Base. Does this go by any other titles? Does anybody uh, know? Yeah, it's like Mystery Monster Base also. Uh, yeah, pretty much yeah. close enough. You know, it depends on what version you have. Uh, yeah, of course, we'll get into the Scroovy Ultraman theme, which <laughs> we always love. Which is very odd that I always didn't notice that it starts out as the Ultra Q opening until now. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I watched a whole video on the making of that. Like, like they did it in paint, and then they swirl it, and and then they just reverse the footage. But yeah, it's the old Q logo. That's cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. So then, the, after the intro happens, of course, this one opens up very dark and mysterious on uh, Camp Crystal Lake. You know, <laughs> you know, and we get like these close ups to the lake, and then it goes into like this weird like cave like area where. Uh, we see like these uh, dead animals and live animals, and we see like this mysterious elderly scientist doing research. Doctor Eyebrows. Doctor, <laughs> yeah, he has like those Kabuki Man like eyebrow thing going on yeah. with him. And, Yo, uh, that cave though is boss as hell. I would love to have that cave. Yeah, it's like a secret. <laughs> it's like the Legion of Doom cave, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So then we get, like, this scene where he, like, rows inside this boat to the middle of the lake, and he screams, Jiras, you must hide. The fisherman must not know you are here. You know, the way he talks is fucking very great and evil <laughs> and very shady what he's doing right now. So we hear, like, these weird noises, and we see, like, some bubble effects happen, and it goes to daytime. And this is where... It turns into like our Japanese scene of the Ultraman, which this scene was cut out. But uh, I'm kind of glad we get to see this scene because the aspect of if you see like the Ultra Science team go into like what they're gonna do, 
we get a little exclamation like this Japanese subtitled scene why they do it and pretty much uh, there's has been this strange growth in fish in the area of this lake and that's why the science patrol goes to investigate it pretty much and that's a very good aspect that if we didn't see that scene before why the fuck are they bothering searching this lake you know what I mean <laughs> you guys Completely agree with that? Completely agree. Yeah, um, sure. it definitely helps establish why they're going there. Like, because I mean, I'd have to wonder if you didn't get to see that scene, like you would still kind of figure out what's going on because they still kind of tell you. But it helps really establish it. It helps make it more real. Yeah, and plus in this scene we also see this group of fishermen that do come into play in the end of the story. Where they're like, oh, we should poison, you know, use that, like, a what's that white powdery shit that they use in uh, Black Lagoon called? Cocaine. Yeah. Wait, no, that's, that's not right. But you know what I'm that's talking what about. I that's use in the Black Lagoon. It's, it's, it's that white powdery shit that they use to paralyze the fish to get them to the surface. It's the same thing they use in Black oh, Lagoon. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, they, they're talking about using that shit to bring the fish up more. We get more fish that way. So that that comes into play later in the story also. And it's cool that it's the same fishermen. But then we cut into our science patrol scenes where, oh, yeah, we're going to go get ready to go and get ready. So they go inside their ship and fly off to the lake. And then we have Arashi going into, like, this submarine investigating through, like, this aspect of sound wave tests and an underwater camera test. And that's where we get to see a very familiar tale (laughs) as the audience but they don't get to see it. We get to see it. We get to see this very familiar tale. Now, first off, I want to ask, which one of you guys is the first time watch for this episode? Oh, definitely for me. No, I I'd, I this I watch this episode a lot and see Ido in the shower. So yeah, we'll get <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, I'm gonna be asking Venom a few questions, especially with the aspect of this being the first time watch for him when we get the know the monster so without giving too much away yet uh yeah so Hiroshi's like we can't find anything down here so they're like okay we're gonna go back to base and then the commander's like to Hayata and the rest of them yeah we'll let you on leave there's a nice hotel next to the lake get to relax and then that's when we introduce to Ito fucking screaming in the shower like a madman <laughs> and Hayata's chilling in the same room I think it's the same room I'm not sure the way it's edited it's very oddly and we get some back exposition of uh, this reporter named Kubo I believe that's her name which by the way there is no fucking way those people are driving around that badass of a car looking the way they do that's like totally like a lord humongous type of a car ride and then you see these two people walk out of it it's like why the hell are they driving this car no yeah exactly uh, <laughs> yeah that that makes no fucking sense but that that car is boss as hell that car looks like what joe bob briggs would drive exactly <laughs> with his cowboy hat you know but but anyways, Kubu, the reporter and the photographer, like, oh, we gotta get the scoop on this legendary reports of this dinosaur. So they go to the one dude that might know this shady ass hell professor doctor, Doctor Eyebrows. Doctor Eyebrows, <laughs> yeah. And when they get there, they go to his creepy house and they see like all these wall paintings and shit. 
and he's given like this exposition of what these are, and they talk about Loch Ness, and then the reporter lady brings up this uh, mysterious Professor Nikado, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, that was missing for 15 years after his trip to explore Loch Ness. And oh, I thought the, she said. I thought she said Mikado. Mikado. No, Something. it starts with an N. It's like no. His real name is Makana. All right, y'all are starting to sound racist. Let's yeah. continue. I, when he was introduced as the authority on strange monsters, they called him Dr. Nakana. But then later on, I thought she said that uh, something about a missing Dr. Mikado. Like a different... uh, no, the other name, that's a Dr. N. It's like Nick. It's, it sounds like a Nikolai, but like a Japanese variant. And I, I know I don't want to sound racist. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. So Dr. Eyebrows is named Nakamura. Nakamura, yeah. Um, and... Uh, damn it, do they not have it written down here? I was trying to look in my thing, but they're not... Yeah, I'm looking at my notes, too. Oh, I, it was Ru- in the subtitle. N- uh, N-I-K-A-I-D-O. Nikaido. Nikaido. Is the... Well, you know... Me, yeah. I can't pronounce fucking Asian names to say the hey, word. Son, you preaching to the choir. I'm right there with you, brother. Well, I wrote it down yeah. with an M, so I, I was just a little off. According yeah. to the Ultraman wiki, those are the two names. Cool. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I knew they sound very similar. Yeah. So I was like, that's why I was confused at first. That's why I just keep calling the scientists because I didn't know if his real name was also the name they used because it was kind of confusing the subtitles that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I called Dr. Eyebrows and Dr. Loch Ness. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's how it went in my notes. Yeah. That sounds fine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it separates, but, it separates yeah. the two, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, but the professor gives a stern look and because uh, the photographer's lighting a cigarette while he's talking and shit, and he's like, can I use your lighter? And he lights this big, giant, fat stogie right in front of them, and he puts the lighter in his pocket, and the photographer's like, hey, that's my lighter. And then he's like, get out. Yeah, he tries to steal the lighter. And yeah, then he takes it apart and hands it back to him. And he's like, get the fuck out. Like, (laughs) what in the world? Like, what it like? Is there something in Japanese culture I'm missing that I just don't get this? No, that's actually a I caught that on. I caught that a a couple of a while ago on one of my last rewatches. He was it's actually a video camera when he walks when he walks in. The doctor, Doctor Eyebrows, notices the reporter's got the camera with him, so he looks at him and shakes his head before lettering him in, like no cameras. Mm-hmm. And then when he notices that he goes to light it, he's lighting the 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 cigarette lighter is actually a microphone, a camera. That's what he's doing. Holy oh, shit! I did not I notice that. that. I missed yep. that too. Yeah, man. I, yeah, I caught that um, a while ago. That was like on one of my last watches. I I, I had the hardest time figuring out what that was but yeah i think that's because when he walks in when he first walks in when before he starts it he looks down and notices that there's the camera on the guy's like patch because you notice the camera the photographer the other guy doesn't have a camera with him the entire time so what he's doing is that he's actually lighting the cigarette with the with the cigarette lighter that's a camera so he's actually taking pictures and that's what the guy that's what he spots and then you know he plays off like he doesn't realize and then he asks for or it, dismantles it, and hands it back. Damn, that's not says, even on. That's not even on the Ultraman wiki. Wow. So fucking bravo. 
I, I thought he just had a problem with Zippos. <laughs> I thought he was just being a dick. Because <laughs> he did those eyebrows, you know. He did the... People with those eyebrows, like, I always Literally, do. the Ultraman wiki's great because it has, like, the gun Arashi uses is <laughs> called the spider gun. Like, mm-hmm. I would have never known that because they didn't say it. But so, like, I love looking through, through the wiki to make sure I catch everything. But damn, mm-hmm. Don's over here dropping knowledge that's not even on the fucking wiki. <laughs> oh, well, the spider gun, that's what they call it in the Japanese dub. They just call it a ray gun over here in the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. The, if, you watch, if you watch it in the Japanese dub, you'll always see that he refers to it as a spider gun. But, oh, okay. I watched the English dub with the Japanese Yeah, I got bored one day, and I switched over to see what the difference was. So, yeah, because I, I, I realized it's like, why the hell does he – they keep – they keep doing that in the subtitles as well. So I was like, I switched it over to the Japanese dub to figure out, and I realized that he keeps calling it a spider gun in each of the episodes. Mm. So right. yeah, in the American dub, Arashi's gun is just a ray gun, but in the Japanese dub, he calls it his spider gun. Okay. Mm. Okay. All right, Don, get us back on track. Okay. We're back. I said Don, even though I meant Derek. <laughs> I, am, I am fucking yeah, yeah, so that not a good host today, guys. It's okay, man. It happens. I, I've been there. But uh, anyways, so Kobo and the reporter end up getting kicked out, and then we cut to like this bar scene at the Hotel Hayata, and Arashi are there chilling, and then the photographer guy comes in. Yeah, so uh, I'm with uh, Kobo, the reporter, and her and your friend there went out fishing by the lake. Oh, uh, Ito. Ito's either trying to get some tail. They're baiting each other's hooks. Exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Little fish bun there for you folks. <laughs> exactly, you know. Fishermen everywhere are cracking up. <laughs> but when we first meet them, I don't see any fishing poles, so I don't know what kind of fishing they're doing. But uh, then we get to see like this weird noises coming from the lake again and some bubbles, and Ito and the reporter chick get to see it. And they also see... Uh, mean old man scientist there with the eyebrows rowing away so they're like oh my god we gotta find out what's going on and of course this is the scene where Ito uh, with a traveling to this place they he puts uh, something that was was on his shoe right I remember that correctly it was on his shoe like the patch on the tree so they in, just in case they could find them in time and look for them yeah I, I thought that was the pin from his tie but I don't remember because he fiddles for something. But I always, because I've seen this several times, I always get it confused. I always thought it was the marker on his tie. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he grabs it from his shoe or something. But yeah, I thought I he grabbed know. it from the side of his shoe. That's what I thought I saw. Yeah, but mm-hmm. anyways, he puts it on the side, and they find the mysterious lair, the temple of doom. You know, where they go inside and they look around with a flashlight. They see all these weird fucking dinosaur paintings again and then once they're looking for the paintings they see the evil scientist in his eyebrows and he, he kind of blends in with the fucking paint you know with those fucking eyebrows we'll get more into that in a minute but they get caught and then Hayata calls and I'm gonna break your communicator we're gonna you see all my secret and he pulls out a fucking gauge on him and like I'm gonna fucking keep you hidden feed you to the Jeraz. So this is the scene where we get to see Jeraz. He calls out to them in this special, like, fucking teeth window thing that opens up. It's kind of a cool thing, you know, that bad guy would have. And then he's like, Jeraz, 
And then we get to see Jerez come out of the ocean. Now, Venom, <laughs> what was the first thing you said when you first saw what Jerez's face looked like? I said to myself, I thought I already finished my Godzilla movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll get more into that when we get to see the full glimpse of Jerez uh, when he she fully appears. So he's like, I built Jerez from the my own two hands and stuff like that, you know. And then they lock uh, Ito and Kubo up, and uh, yeah, so uh, Hayata is like, I haven't heard from him, and shit, and. So they end up taking the science patrol and the photographer on a secret rescue mission to save the day. And while this is going on, we see the two fishermen from earlier uh, doing what I said they were going to do. They're pouring that white powdery shit from creatures from the Black Lagoon in the river. And uh, Jerez is not happy about this. So that that lake is really dope. It's cool, Man Man Lake. Uh, Can we talk about uh, why... How do kaijus always have the ability to walk on water like it has fucking steps? <laughs> well, the appearance of this kaiju kind of also raises questions. But yeah, this is when Jerez, you know, comes up and shit. So, everybody, how many people knew, like, the first time they saw this, that this was a reused Godzilla suit? Oh, I I, I oh, knew it. I yeah. I even went and looked it up. Uh, so the the body is uh, Godzilla sixty four, and the right. uh, mask, the face, is Godzilla sixty five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where did he get the, the adorable scarf? Uh, that was straight out of Edgy Superia's personal collection. <laughs> you know, like it looks like Godzilla if he fucked a Dilophosaurus. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So, yeah, the story here is um, between episode 8 and episode 19, they were really, really strict on budget. So, um, Edge of Superiah convinced Toho to let him borrow some suits because at this point they were already doing a new suit for Son of Godzilla. Is that right, Don? It was Son of Godzilla. Uh, 60s, 60s, they were filming this in 66. So, so they Son of Godzilla, right? Yeah, they would have just they probably would have just started filming Son of Godzilla, so they were probably they probably had full use of the the Monster Zero in the Ibarra suit, which is the yeah. 65 suit. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's, yeah, they, that's, that's the head and then the body would have been the Mothra versus Godzilla and Ghidorah suit, which that one wasn't being used because that's not the because the Sea Godzilla costume in Son of Godzilla is actually the sixty is the Monster Zero suit, which would have been you know, after the sh- they probably would have had to film that first and then given it to Subaraya for this episode. Yeah. So uh, Toho said, "Yeah, of course we'll let you do it. Just bring it back uh, undamaged." And Edgy Subaraya was like, "Yeah, I do what I want, but okay." Uh, <laughs> and he <finally> was like, <laughs> "Undamaged, okay." Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. so they did a little bit of spray painting, uh, fucked up his teeth a little bit, and then put uh, his uh, fucking uh, cone of shame on him. I don't know what the fuck to call that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like the thing they put on dogs when they get fixed. Yep. Yeah. The cone, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Gieraz is in her full glory here, spray paint and all. Uh and that's when the science patrol comes and they're like, oh shit, Jerez is on the right. 
And Arashi's like, I'm going to spray my fucking spider gun on my ray gun. Depends on what version of the show you're watching. <laughs> and as this is happening, the fucking crazy Kabuki man fucking scientist is running towards the scene too. No! Do not shoot my Dieras! She is mine! And that's when the commander is like, oh, you got to be more like Professor Nikido or whatever the fuck his name is. You can't be into this shit. And that's when the big reveal comes. I got something to show you. And he pulls the fucking mask off. And we find out that this guy is our missing professor that has been missing for 15 years. He was in disguise. And we find out, yes, I hid and I wanted to protect Jira's. And And I have perfectly normal eyebrows. (laughs) Yeah, and he's not old, which is odd. (laughs) (laughs) But then we see our professor, Nikido, running towards Jira's, and Jira's is like, I don't know who the fuck you are. I only remember fucking weird eyebrows, dude. So I'm going to step on you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what ends up happening. And Jira's is going towards like uh, where uh, Ito and Kobo are being captured. So like, Arashi, keep him occupied so we can rescue them. And Arashi does, but his gun ends up losing energy. And as uh, the other team head into the building, that's uh, when Hayata's taking the extends to turn into Ultraman. So you know what that means, guys. Don, give us the fight uh, details. All right. As Jairus is attempting to rip the top off the house, Ultraman grabs his arm and tries to prevent any more damage. Jairus throws a jab at Ultraman to back him up, and the two square off in the forest around the doctor's house, where Ultraman motions Jairus to challenge him. With the science patrol and the team safely in the jungle, the two stand off against each other as Jiras pulls a rock from the ground and tosses it into the air before hitting it with his ray, blasting it to pieces. Ultraman tosses two rocks, blowing them up with his specium ray, and it enrages Jiras, who hates being shown up. He challenges, <laughs> but is pushed back by Ultraman, taunting him to come at him again. Jiras charges, only to be pushed back off his feet by Ultraman, who laughs at his foe's misfortune. Jiras writes himself and responds by firing his ray at Ultraman, who manages to dodge the blast which strikes several trees in the forest. While Jiras stands confused at the inability to hit Ultraman, he seizes the opportunity and moves in to defrill the creature, who begins howling in agony and searching for his now phantom limb. Realizing Ultraman has the abject, he is taunting the creature like a bullfighter, causing Jiras to charge at Ultraman, who allays the creature several times as it tries to grab its frill, eventually stumbling over itself on its last pass. Realizing Jiras won't charge him anymore, Ultraman tosses it aside, and the two stand off in the forest sumo-style once again and begin grappling with each other. Ultraman throws Jiras to the ground and tries to roll around on top of the creature before being thrown off. As Jiras rights himself and stands off against Ultraman, they charge at each other. After making a pass, Jiras stops, waits a second, and realizes blood begins pouring from his mouth, after which the creature collapses dead. Remorseful Ultraman lays the detached frill back on the prone creature. Yeah, some fight there, you know. I'll I'll ask you guys, I'm going to want to finish up this episode because it goes right into the end and from the fight, so I'll ask you your thoughts on the fight in a sec. Uh, Yeah, so... 
Jairus is dead. While the fight was going on, you know, Ido and Kubu were being saved also. So they end up looking in the distance. Ultraman puts fucking Jairus's fucking fin thing back on its body. And uh, they say, like, these words that involve, like, oh, the creature, I'm glad it died. And they talk about uh, poor Professor Nikoto was obsessed with his science. And then we see the set. It plays this very somber music during the scene, too. It kind of ends very sad because you see fucking this doctor dying in front of its dead creature. And he's like, Jairus! <laughs> and that is pretty much how the show ends. It's a very somber and kind of sad ending because they usually end on goofy shit sometimes these Ultraman episodes so uh, overall uh, what did you guys think of this episode? Uh, start with you Venom I liked it um, I really liked uh, even though you know Jira's uh, design was a little reminiscent of another uh, Saurian that we know but I still, you know, I enjoyed it. It was nice to see him. I, you know, anytime I can see anything that's even reminiscent of Godzilla, I'm, I'm always appreciative of. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how I feel about the frills, though. I feel like maybe there's, there could have been something a little bit different that they could have done to distinguish him from Godzilla rather than just, you know, throwing a doily on him, basically. But uh, yeah, I still enjoyed the episode. Um, you know, no annoying little kid. So that, that's always a plus. And, um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> I thought this was one of the, I would probably say middle to upper, um, range of the series so far of the first 10 episodes. Um, you know, like I said, it, it's, it, it's a matter of how you take, uh, Jira's luck. I mean, if, if you're okay with it being too reminiscent of, uh, you know, a certain radioactive lizard, then, you know, you're probably not going to like it very much. But if you're more accepting of the fact that they were working on a budget and had to do what they had to do to finish the episode, then, you know, you're going to enjoy it a little bit. And yeah, I walked away enjoying it. Nice. Uh, Jerry. All right. So uh, this episode had some really weird camera angles, uh, whether it was like super close ups of the eyes and nose uh, of the evil doctor. It was probably because they couldn't fit his mouth and eyebrows in the same shot. Random shots that, that go from, like, fucking... Uh, they're, they're down near, like, the waist shooting up. And, like, just a lot of weird camera angles in this episode. Uh, I wanted to point out... Uh, I also want to point out, this is uh, the first episode... This marks the first time Ultraman yells, Shoo-watch! Uh which is kind of his battle cry he usually does when he flies away in later episodes in the series. Mm-hmm. So that's big. Uh, this is the episode where Ultraman got way more vocal. He laughs. He's grunting more. Um, his laugh was fantastic. I overall really enjoyed this episode. This is probably, uh, so far, definitely up there uh, with my favorites. I really like Jirius, uh, even though I, the, the design's a little goofy. Uh, I'm okay. I, I don't mind my Ultraman monsters being a little goofy. They're usually pretty creative, though I don't think they did that much to cover up it was Godzilla. It was still really cool. I liked the episode uh, storyline. Uh, it was kind of a nice episode where we didn't get tons of science patrol. Mm-hmm. It was more dealing with the mysterious doctor and then the reporter. So I thought that was a kind of a neat change for it. So overall fucking two thumbs up for me. Super, super happy with this episode. Nice. Nice. Good shit, man. Uh, Don. 
Yeah, I really like this. This has always been one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, I love the first half where it's this mysterious, you know, look into this doctor and all of these missing fish. But then in the second half, it turns into like all this fun monster action. And I absolutely love the fact that Hayata is turning into Superman now, where he ducks back behind the others and is like, huh, monster around? Nobody else? Beta capsule, where are you? He's like you just see that. Yeah. Well, as I'm saying, he's like you just see that he looks around and is like, "All right, they're free now. Where is that damn thing?" Because <laughs> I mean, you realize when they're leading the charge, he kind of like ducks back and is kind of like looking around, kind of suspiciously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I love that he's turning into Superman. I mean, the last episode where he survived the truck, the helicopter crash, and made that joke about being. You know, he's not an ordinary man. He's an Ultraman. He makes Because yeah. I'm saying, I mean, at first, he's like, you know, he's the guy that always survives the helicopter crashes, like Launchpack McQuack. And now he's turning <laughs> into Superman. I, I think it's so much fun. And then I'm a little conflicted on the fight. I think it's generally fun. But, I mean, this is Nakajima in a Godzilla suit. I wanted, you know, sumo wrestling between these two. I wanted something, you know, a little bit more, you know, rather than, you know, flipping rocks at each other and, you know, olays. And then it's weird. I mean, you realize he just defrilled this thing. And I don't know what the hell he did because I've seen this like five or six times and I still have no idea what the hell caused Jiris to bleed, especially from the mouth. When you it realize you re, you look at it and it's like they collide near the waist or something. It's like how the hell did his mouth bleed? And <laughs> and, and it's like at the end of it you realize oh wait a second I gotta you know honor him and then he puts the frill back on him and it's like this tender moment like wait what you just <laughs> ripped the thing off in agony you know you just ripped it off and made him dance around like a bullfighter you're a prick what the hell is you gonna give him some honor and death <laughs> i mean you know i like the action but then i don't like the themes behind it you know like mm. it's, it's a little weird it's not necessarily my favorite fight between ultraman but i don't know i i still like the rest the majority of the episode a lot to overcome that i mean it's like you know minor minor gripes i have with the episode but yeah, again, it's, you know, still one of my top favorites, so. Nice, nice. For me, I always enjoy this episode. I like the mysterious behind the shady scientist character, you know. I always like, like, mad scientist type stories in general. So it was cool to see inside this series that they did that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So uh, yes. that aspect of it, it, I always did enjoy that aspect. And I do kind of agree with Don. The fight is kind of lacking just because it is Ultraman fighting. Even though it's not Godzilla in person, it looks <laughs> fucking exactly like Godzilla. So you think it would be a little bit more epic, especially if it's Nakajima in the suit, you know. But, uh, you know, for what it is, it's a fun episode, too. And, you know, it ends on a sad note, which is different for it. It's a very, it ends the way like a mad scientist movie would end. Mm-hmm. Which I do like that aspect of it, and I always dig this one. It's one of my favorites out of the, the ones that we've seen. But uh, yeah, I, I also want to say my uh, photo that I have that uh, I've got a photo of Ultraman and Jiris signed by Nakajima and uh, Ben, and right. it's amazing. That's awesome, man. 
Yeah. What did you guys think of the final fight, uh, Jerry and Venom? You, you guys didn't mention it, really. Um, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was more playful than anything. It was, it was more of an entertaining fight on that aspect than an actual fight. But it, I think it was worth it just for at the end of it, the doctor to still come out like the Godfather, just like, look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um pretty much the same thing that everybody else has already said i mean i i enjoyed the fight but i felt like it was way too short it, it could have gone on another you know give me another 30 40 seconds of like donnie said the sumo style fighting that seems to be lacking in this show you know just based on <clears throat> you figure a japanese man in the ultraman suit you know that that's going to be his national fighting style we, you'd think we'd see it more often but unfortunately we don't but all yeah. in all i enjoyed the fight um i don't I, i'm with don and not really liking um ultraman's little attempt at redemption there at the end by putting the frill back on him yeah that that just that seems silly to me yeah. I mean, especially when you take into effect all the sass that he does during the fight. Yeah. It's like, you know, he weighs his hand like, ew, fish breath. And then he, like, laughs at him like, come on, take me on. And then, you know, he holds the frill up like, charge me, bull. I mean, he does all that, and then he's supposed to, at the end, honor him by putting the frill back on him. It's like... It's too little yeah. too late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, I see that. Yeah, but <laughs> pretty much that I have the same feelings on it. Yeah, but... That's the Ultraman Report, guys. Nice. All right. Thank you, Dare, for, for doing that. That is wonderful. I always enjoy when I get to sit back and not have to take 200 pages of notes. <laughs> so it's always good for me. Anyway, guys, uh, that is our visions from Monsterland. And we already know what we're doing next episode. Uh, Derek, you picked it. So you tell the, yeah, the people. Since I wanted to forgive... Uh, my uh, I know me and Venom enjoyed the last one that I picked. <laughs> and, uh, the aspect I wanted to do something that maybe we would all enjoy. I'm not sure on everybody on this one, but I decided to go with uh English kaiju movie known as Gorgo. <laughs> UK kaiju, I like it. Yeah, you know, I it's been a while since I've seen that one, and it's one I wanted to revisit. It's one that I remember watching as a kid, so. I wanted to talk about it, you know, so in that aspect, you know, I, this is my redemption episode, I hope. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, I remember enjoying Gorgo. It's been a, it's been a long time since I've seen a non-rift version of Gorgo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see how that works out. Uh, but I'm excited for Gorgo. That's pretty good. Because uh, I had a one, I, I had an idea of what... We could do next. And then when you said Gorgo, I was like, you know what? That'll be easier than what I was going to pick. Because <laughs> the one I was going to pick is a little bit out there. Yeah. So this will this will be a nice, nice good breeze. So we're going to do Gorgo next, guys. And, of course, we'll be doing Ultraman Episode 11. So uh, as always, we're going to end the show with what our podcasts are doing and putting out. And uh, let's go ahead and get the hour long out of the way. <laughs> Venom, what you got? All right. Uh, next episode of the Horror Cast actually records tomorrow. We're going to be looking at a couple of uh, demonic possession films. The the first is going to be The Exorcist Three, and then the second film is going to be 2018 Satan Slaves. So that should be a really fun episode. Nice. Uh, 
let's see, Theme Warriors just came out. We put out an episode actually about redemption. So there's four films there tackling the subject of redemption. Um, that's available uh, as we speak on the Horophilia Network. No More Room in Hell recorded its latest episode with uh, Mr. Derek B. joining us as we talked about... Um, we talked about uh, 70s killer doll movies, or at least perceived killer doll movies. So Great in that episode. one, yeah, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about uh, 1975's Trilogy of Terror and 1978's Magic, starring Anthony Hopkins. So that was a fun little episode. On the latest episode of Fresh Cuts, we discussed uh, The Prodigy, which came out about a week and a half ago. And tomorrow, we will be recording the next episode where we talk about. Um, the movie that just came out this week, Happy Death Day to You. And then, of course, I've got two other podcasts that are on hiatus right now, both Beneath the Zenith and Rad Radio are kind of in a holding pattern. But fingers crossed they'll be back sooner than later. Yeah, I've been waiting for that Beneath the Zenith for seven years now. Yeah, it feels that way. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that pick, like, that. that's the, the worst thing about podcasts is you want to do, like, so many podcasts. And uh, the problem is, one of the reasons I picked all of you guys, and I don't have anyone from actual Kill the Cast on here, is because I've seen uh, problems where podcasts kind of use the same host over and over and just retitle the, like, po- like, when it, like uh, we were talking about before we got on, y'all had some confusion about, like, uh, Slice Dice Horror Mafia. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the latest, there was an episode of Slice Dice that came out that had most of Horror Mafia on it, and I'm like, could have been a Horror Mafia episode uh, <laughs> with with the one guy who's not on Horror Mafia and on Slice of Dice just being on there. Um, but you look at, like, uh, uh, Horror Mafia, Slice and Dice, Beneath the Zenith, uh, they share, like, three of the same fucking host. So, like, it makes it harder to, like, match up everyone. That's why, like, when I went to go get the people I want, I wanted people that I knew loved Godzilla, but I also wanted people that I knew uh, not only could keep a schedule and who are good at working out things and everything like that, but people I know who are not uh, the the core principle for 18 podcasts. Unfortunately, Venom is. But, like, <laughs> I mean, if I would have gotten... Like, if I would have gotten, like, you know, uh, Don and Joey or Don and Bill on here or something like that, like, that would have been harder because they already have, like, three shows they're doing together as it is mm-hmm. kind of thing. Sure, sure. Makes it very, very hard. But I'm, I'm hoping for Beneath the Zenith to come back. Speaking of comebacks, 10 out of 10, Derek, what you got? Yeah, our Slime City slash... Uh... Slime City Massacre show of Cinema Attack should be out this week. Uh, has some uh, issues with, uh, well, not really issues, just some technical things that we had to work out. Not on our end, but some other ends of it. But uh, it should be out this week. Uh, and then we also, if all things go well, we might be recording a commentary tag for uh, the Green Slime. Uh, and it might feature uh, one of two guys that uh, are here in this uh recording right now uh mr venom might be joining us and uh mike merriman if all goes well fingers crossed and knock on wood so that should be a fun show and uh i'm also guest star on another show coming up i kind of want to keep that one a little secret uh because it's a big one so i'll be representing 
both my show and uh, Underwater Kaiju on that episode. So it's big stuff, big stuff. Very nice. Uh, Don, what you got? Uh, all right. Um, first of all, my uh, aforementioned guest appearance on Slice and Dice, where it turned out to be um, Horror Mafia plus J-Mac. Yeah. Where, <laughs> yeah, we did um, first time watches for me on both uh, The Warriors and Willow, which uh, was a lot of fun. How did y'all come up with that combination? Like, I, I don't get me okay, wrong, well, I love both movies, but they were just uh, like, Don, what two movies that start with a W have you never seen? <laughs> no, um, there's a funny little story about that, if you'll indulge me. Um, I'll indulge you, because I want to know. Yeah, the original plan uh, sprang from a segment we did on a Horror Mafia episode where uh, Bill had a list of, uh, eight, it was 80 quintessential 80s, horror, 80s movies. And he read them off to me, and I had to tell them whether or not I had seen the film or not. I remember that, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing was, a couple of days later, Joey rang me up and said, hey, you want to take some of those films from your, th- from your, you know, that segment we did and do a show on Slice and Dice with it? And I said, yeah, what the hell? Y'all be doing some weird-ass shows. Like, one day they're going to be like, all right, guys, today we're going to do a, a list. It's going. We're going to do the entire alphabet, and for each letter we're going to pick a uh, horror movie we've never seen. <laughs> and it's just like, who sat around and came up with this idea? Yeah, um, so that was the original guys for the show. Originally, the episode wasn't actually supposed to be Warriors and Willow. The original guys of the show was supposed to have been Stand By Me in Willow. And uh, Mr. Venom was supposed to join us, but uh, schedules got crossed. And oh, I know how that is. Yeah. Um, especially when um, I made it known on... Uh, it was behind the scenes of the latest Horror Mafia episode where the Warriors was celebrating its anniversary and it was brought up that I hadn't seen it. And then they said, okay, fuck it. We're doing Warriors instead. Okay, so, so what are y'all, y'all going to do? Uh, y'all should do Stand By Me and The Outsiders. Nice. That's a nice combo. That's yeah. the combo right there. But it will probably end up being Stand By Me and Labyrinth. <laughs> oh, God. Where'd that come from? Oh, I'm about to bring up Labyrinth here in a second when Don gets done. <laughs> yeah. Dance the so, Magic uh, Dance. Okay, yeah. So uh, that was uh, the guys behind that whole fiasco. The um, aforementioned... Uh, horror mafia episode that it occurred on was um our last episode where we had t- two of bill's friends from the 90s join us we had uh, tim ritter and, and joel weinkoop join us and they talked to us about uh, their films truth or dare critical madness and killing spree awesome yeah movies. and for those who don't know not the new truth or dare they're talking right, classic yeah, truth or yeah, dare yeah the title i said truth or dare critical madness for a reason because that's the true title yep mm-hmm. Yep, I yeah, it. yeah. Good movie. Yeah, um, it was probably one of my greatest of nights ever being on a recording show, even though I probably said maybe a grand total of 20 words. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's basically like commentary tracks for those movies. So if you want to go there and get like tons of behind the scenes info and stuff like that, you're going to absolutely love that episode. Oh, that must have been great hearing Joel talk. <laughs> oh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, there were so many stories. We ended up we ended up leaving. Um, we ended up stopping the recording at about nine thirty my time. We didn't get off until almost eleven. 
That's awesome. Wow. I, yeah. I still have to listen to the episode. That's why I was asking. Yeah, no, um, it was so much fun. Yeah, we had them on, and there was so many stories that were told. Um, you'll actually get to hear how Bill got involved with them, and you'll die laughing. Fair <laughs> enough. All right, y'all yeah. yeah. check out that, that episode really for sure. Yeah. Um, and then um, on the next episode, I believe we are doing a special women in horror celebration because we're not doing it on slice and dice. We're doing it on horror mafia. So we are going to be doing a countdown of our top 15 favorite scream Queens. Nice. Nice. Okay. Dope. So yeah, I I know it's a little weird to go back to a list episode, but we figured it'd be a great way to honor women in horror months and slice and dices and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. List or list episodes are great. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. I enjoy doing lists too. Yep. Fantastic. My favorite. All right. Well, I, I look forward to that. Uh, as for me, uh, Kill the Cash just released The Invisible Man featuring Carly, uh, where we uh, go through that wonderful H.G. Wells based Universal Monster classic, uh, and I make very inappropriate jokes. <laughs> um, and uh, fucking, we just, I literally just got done recording Jerry Hates Action, which will actually come out before. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, where we did Terminator 2, um, where I did not make inappropriate jokes, but I did uh, do a thorough analysis analysis of the movie, and uh, fucking, I I don't know what's next on the Kill the Cast pie, we know we're doing Horror Coliseum, uh, Freddy vs. Jason 8, uh, Remake vs. Remake, uh, here soon, but I don't know if it's going to be the next episode or not. Uh, but the big thing I want to talk about is YouTube. I have been jumping full force on getting at least one video out a week for our YouTube. And here recently, I've been diving into forgotten horror video games. So I, uh, this past week, um, well, actually it'll be two weeks by the time this episode comes out, but whatever, shut up. Uh, this past week, I did one on Bloodwings Pumpkinhead's Revenge, which was a PC game from 1994, uh, a very shitty Doom clone, but the reason you should check out the video and our YouTube channel is because uh, there's a good ending and a bad ending. The good ending lets you see Pumpkinhead dancing mm-hmm. while wearing sneakers, uh, and the bad ending has Pumpkinhead flicking you off. Nice. So... You can watch that video. It's only like five minutes, and you'll get to see both of those. But then I also said, man, this Pumpkinhead dancing video is great. You know what is missing? David Bowie. So I edited this 18-second clip of him dancing with the magic dance from The Labyrinth. Uh, It's on YouTube, and I put it on Facebook. Um, So it's it's great. It's hilarious. It is the funniest thing you will see. You've got to check it out um, and check out the Pumpkinhead video because it's fucking dope and you can learn some shit. I also did a video on the uh, canceled uh, Hellraiser game for the uh, NES. Mm-hmm. I also did one on a Nightbreed uh, action game, but I don't like the way the video came out and I'm probably going to end up either redoing it or, or something down the road. Uh, but of course, this week I will be trying to get out another video, uh, most likely on another forgotten horror video game. Cause there's, a, did y'all know there are like fucking, uh, uh, I can't remember if it's three or four different fucking Elvira video games. Absolutely. I owned a couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. Uh, there's a game on plan nine from outer space. Really? And that is yes, <laughs> there is. 
I'm trying to find uh, the information. Because with these video games, a lot of them have very little information out there. Like, very fucking little. I have to, like, deep dive to find enough information about these. But there, there, there was a fucking Evil Dead game out on the Commodore 64. Really? Like, like I'm talking cassette. Like, literally a fu- on a tape cassette. Not VCR, but, like, sure, radio sure. cassette. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like... There's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes video game. Uh, there was an Alien game for the Atari 2600. Like it's insane about all these. So I'm trying. I'm trying to do more of those. But I also want to go back and start doing uh, videos like other greatest horror movie, uh, other greatest moments in horror movie history. I can never say that fucking title right. Where I try to f- show some of the lesser known talked about scenes that are are really amazing, but they just don't get talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get back into into making that one also. Uh, so check out our YouTube channel because I'm doing dope shit on there. We are uh, fucking going to town on it. And then, of course, we'll have new uh, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Uh, Kill the cast, obviously, and Jerry Hates Action coming out right here. Uh, so I would like to say thank you to uh, my lovely three co-hosts here who uh, are out here killing it with me. Uh, coming on here and, and fucking kicking at Kaiju and bringing our visions from Monsterlands. For all of you people, uh, our download numbers have been doing good. We are uh, steadily increasing. So spread the word. You know someone that likes Kaiju and they want to hear us fucking uh, talk about it, drop knowledge, kick jokes, all that. Share it to them. Let them know. Let them know that we're here uh, with fake eyebrows for them. <laughs> and big uh, stubby hands in stubby hands uh check out their shows uh because if you like them here you're gonna like them on their show obviously it's amazing uh and with that being said we're fucking out of here we will see y'all next time with gorgo and uh, another episode of ultraman so fucking shoot for the stars science patrol